battling with a habitual or occasional oops, trying desperately to stop without much success? Well, chances are your struggle is related to how you're fighting it. I'll show you what the Bible says really works. This is the Shut Up Devil Show. I'm Kyle Winkler here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life, and I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. Join us live sometime, will you? We would love to have you. Okay. You know, religious people often say there needs to be more preaching about sin. Well, I was at a conference where one of the speakers went there. He preached about sin, but with a bit of a different approach than the turn or burn kind of a thing that I've heard plenty over the years. I'm sure you have too, maybe. His message was refreshing to me, if I can use refreshing and sin in the same sentence. I don't know. That might be a sin itself. Anyway, in the lobby after the message, I overheard two people discuss it. I say one was close to my age, upper 30s. The other was in his 60s. Both were some kind of ministry leaders. The younger guy said to the older guy, so what did you think about the message? The older guy folded his arms and hemmed and hawed for a few seconds and then said, you know, I was really hoping for some methods for how to stop. And he named something like lust or pride. I don't remember. Then they continued to chat. But my mind went racing. Stopping sin, isn't that what everybody's looking for? Maybe not everybody, but many of the Christians that fill my messages and DMs, every day I get a new version of the question, how do I stop being angry, overeating, and addiction? Not bad questions to ask, of course. But listening in to the conversation at the conference, my next thought was, what method has this guy not already heard? Like I said, he was some sort of church leader, kind of gave me the vibe of a Sunday school teacher. So I'm sure he sat through plenty of sin management sermons in his day. Maybe read a handful of books on him, plenty of those. So I was thinking, if somebody his age and experience has not found the silver bullet to stop sin, maybe it's because there isn't one. So this whole encounter just stuck with me for a while, and I actually still think about it pretty often, actually. But made me think about all the methods I had learned and tried over the years. Scripture memorization, fasting, more prayer, accountability partners. Those are the usuals. You've probably tried them too. If you grew up in youth group, you might have heard of the rubber band trick to stop lustful thoughts. You're supposed to snap the rubber band against your wrist every time you have a thought like that. The theory is the feeling of pain will teach you to stop. But that's only theory. Throughout history, people inflicted far more kinds of pain on themselves with nothing more than bruises and scars to show for it. Before he launched the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther used to flog himself. He'd beat himself to try to get things under control. He lived in the 16th century. Monks long before him went to greater lengths. Some fastened themselves to skin and bones. 
men in one group each tried to live alone for years atop outdoor pillars. They thought the isolation and the discipline of having nothing would keep them from sinning. It didn't work. They kept sinning in one way or another, which is why they kept trying to find another method. Did the 1,500 years that Israel spent trying to keep the law not teach them anything? Has it not taught us anything? If pain, disciplines, and devotion didn't conquer sin back then, then it's not going to do it today, no matter how much we modernize the methods or put a clever title on it. I'm not saying that it's impossible to be better. So don't lose hope. There's plenty of hope. I'm just saying that being better doesn't happen through a better method. We're going to get to what's most effective. But first, you have to understand sin correctly. You ready for this? This might challenge you. So I'm just going to ask you to avoid throwing your virtual stones at me until I'm ready to move on to the next point. Clench it like a stress ball if you have to, but don't rock me to sleep. I mean, stone me to death just yet. We'll start with the basics. Most of us can agree with this here. Both the Hebrew words and the Greek word for sin mean to fail or miss the mark or the goal. Surely you've heard that definition before, and it's true. Most agree with that, to miss the mark. Yet despite most people's agreement on that definition, whole denominations split and form over what is the mark, what is the standard, what is the goal, and how is it missed? Every Christian that I know cites the Bible to back up their ideas, as they should, of course. You've probably heard someone say something that you disagree with, but in the end they say, I'm just preaching the Bible. Most of us are preaching the Bible, yet we come to different conclusions about some things. Well, when it comes to the Bible, I'd say the most common standards that people look to to define sin are the Ten Commandments. So honesty is a standard, a day of rest is a standard, honoring your parents is a standard, faithfulness to your spouse is a standard, obviously do not murder, do not steal. There are many others mentioned in Scripture, as I've said a lot recently, and I feel like a broken record saying this. The Ten Commandments are the first ten of 613 laws that God gave Israel through Moses. People also use Psalms and Proverbs and remarks made by the New Testament writers as God's standards, too. Sobriety is a good one. Purity is another good example. What gets crazy is when people classify sin as anything that might lead to failure. A joke I've heard among some former legalists goes like this. Be careful not to stand up while you're holding hands with someone because it might lead to dancing. Do you get the humor of that? Some people are taught that since breaking purity is a sin, then one must also avoid anything that might lead to it, like dancing or standing or breathing for that matter if we're going to go there. How far do you go? 
Same is said about sobriety, which is why, I kid you not, some people think it's a sin to take NyQuil because it contains 10% alcohol. Check the bottle if you think I'm joking. It's right there on the label. The madness of this kind of logic is that there is no end to what could cause sin. Like I said, eventually it comes to just existing and breathing. Well, this logic leads to goofy laws like the one I often mock, which is the story of the lady that I heard from who said her church mandated that women may only wear pink or white fingernail polish. Now, I have racked my brain trying to figure that one out. What standard is that meant to uphold? My best guess is the Apostle Paul's encouragement to honor your body as God's temple, maybe? Like, is wearing blue destructive to you or something? I don't know. Maybe the 71st law of Moses that women must not wear men's clothing. Maybe only men wear black or yellow? I don't know. It's the product of a poor interpretation, whatever it is, or somebody's power trip. And that's how it is with many of the so-called sins that people try to desperately avoid today. They're based on somebody's interpretation or maybe an interpretation of an interpretation. This is exactly what happened in Bible times. They interpreted laws into more laws, which is why Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. The Mosaic Law was already impossible to follow, let alone the thousands of interpretations and precautions added by the religious leaders. Please understand now, I don't mean to imply that everything is an interpretation. God has standards today. But you might be surprised to learn that they aren't the Ten Commandments. Those aren't some special set of laws out of the 613. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 3.7. Paul said the old way, with laws etched in stone, led to death. He said the commandments led to death because they were part of the rest of the law for the purpose of exposing sin, not empowering people to stop. They were meant to reveal Israel's need for Jesus and ours too, and to that end, they accomplished their purpose perfectly. But as Paul said in Romans 10.4, that's the end of them. And if you don't accept that, then you have to be ready to say goodbye to pulled pork sandwiches, Saturday yard work, shellfish, borrowing with interest, wearing clothing made up of two different kinds of fabrics. Those are all commandments too, part of the 613. But when it comes to the law, you can't cherry pick what to follow. James said that when you break one of them, you're as guilty as if you had broken all of them. So if we continue through 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, in fact, that first glory, again, talking about Moses receiving the Ten Commandments, that first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. 
well, what are the standards of this new way? What does it define as sin? What's missing the mark according to this new way that Jesus instituted? It includes things like honesty, respect, purity, absolutely. But none of it is defined so rigidly. It's not etched in stone. It all falls under the umbrella of the law of love. Love God, love people. You might have heard Jesus boil all the law down into those two laws of love. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Romans, Paul said, if you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. John said it too. 1 John 3.23, this is his commandment. We must believe in Jesus and love one another, faith and love. So just a tip as you read through the New Testament. Anytime after the resurrection where you see the words obedience or holiness or commandments, read the context around it. It always has to do with belief, faith, in Jesus, or love. Belief and love. What all of this means is that it's possible that what is your oops or your battle is not with real sin. It might be with a law you aren't meant to follow. It might be with someone's flawed interpretation, their paranoia, or their want for control. You know, like the color of fingernail polish or having to wear a head covering or something like that. I don't know. May you be freed. God's standard is straightforward and simple, and it's spirit-empowered, too. It's love. Love God through your faith in Jesus, even if that's a mustard seed of faith at times. Then love people, which includes loving yourself. So having said that, what if your thoughts, words, or actions really do fall into the category of sin? Now we're getting into the practical. And to do it, I'm going to use a hypothetical. That's not really all that hypothetical because I hear this story so much. But I won't use a name. That way nobody thinks I'm talking about them because really this is like a mishmash of a bunch of stories that I hear because such a common thing. Probably most common, oops, I did it again kind of message I get these days. It's about pornography. Everybody thinks they're the only one who struggles with this, it seems, at least when they write to me. When sadly, the current stats are that 89% of Christian men and 51% of Christian women admit to it. And I stress admit because there are more that aren't admitting. Most of the time, an email goes something like this. Kyle, I've tried everything. I don't want to do this anymore. And then they go on about how they love Jesus and how much they hate the addiction. And I don't doubt any of that. The fact that they don't like what they do, to me, is evidence of their new nature. They don't want to do it. So I don't doubt their Christianity. 
like I said, Christians are far from being immune from this particular vice. But whether it's a pornography addiction or an addiction to Dr. Pepper, it doesn't matter. Most Christians try to stop these things with a bunch of methods, cold showers, self-deliverance books, things that can seem promising at times, maybe even have a short-term effect. But I still get the messages because they don't last. Or sometimes they make things worse. Thus the, oops, I did it again. So I propose to people, I propose to you, your struggle might be related to the way you're trying to fight it. It probably is. So if I can challenge you again, if there's anything to stop, it's to stop the two counterproductive things most Christians do to deal with sin. You ready for these? First, stop trying to stop. I know that sounds counter to everything that seems right, but there's a biological reason for this and there's a spiritual reason for this. Biologically, our bodies act upon our thoughts. You eventually do what's on your mind. That's why diets often fail. When you think about not eating food, you think about food. So eat the food. When you're talking about cake, you're thinking about cake, and eventually you're going to eat the cake. Spiritually as well, as the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 56, law gives sin its power. Any must do or must not do is a law. It doesn't have to be a law of Moses. Focusing on them only leads to frustration, exhaustion, death, as Paul said there. More failure. We're not designed to live under the pressure of performing or else. Paul explained this through his own experience. As a good Jew, he depended upon the law to conquer the sinful desires in him that it outlined. And like anyone, some of the commandments were easier for him to follow than others. Apparently, the 10th commandment wasn't so easy for him. It's the one that says, you must not covet. Paul had to work up that one. The problem is, the more he tried to get it under control, the more it controlled him. Romans 7, 8, Paul's speaking here about life before Jesus. He's not speaking about him as a Christian. He's speaking as if he's not a Christian in this moment. He says, But sin used this command, not coveting, to arouse all kinds of covetous desires within me. If there were no law, sin would not have that power. And most of us can relate to what it did to him. In verse 15, he says, I don't really understand myself or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Who said that one before? I have. Now, Paul didn't only pick on Jewish laws for their complete ineffectiveness to thwart sin. He condemned any kind of discipline. And he made that clear in his letter to the Colossians. They lived in an especially sexualized culture. Maybe more than ours, if you can believe that. The Colossian Christians were tempted to go back to some of their secular disciplines to stop their impulses. 
you know, when you have lived in a culture that sexualized and some of the acts they did were to try to appease gods, you know, they lived lifetimes of that like Jewish people live lifetimes of law. That's hard to break overnight. So they tried to go back to their old disciplines to try to break this. Well, Paul said that's as dangerous as relying on the law of Moses. You have to see this. In Colossians 2 verse 20, he says, so why do you keep following the rules of the world such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? He goes on in verse 23 to say these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. No help. Whether a Ten Commandment or some contemporary self-help principle, Paul maintained that depending on any rule or discipline to stop sin is a waste of effort at best, but it may even slave you even further because of the guilt and shame it produces. And that brings me to my second suggestion of what to really stop. Stop feeling bad about yourself. Like I said, failure to uphold a rule results in feelings of guilt and shame. Many not only hate what they did, that's guilt, but they hate themselves for it, that's shame. Some are even led to believe that God wants them to hate themselves or loathe themselves, feel bad about themselves. I hear this a lot from people that have been in real religious traditions. I was basically taught this as a kid that you have to pay some sort of a penance for sin. You got to feel the weight of it and some punishment or chore is going to help you feel that weight so that you don't do it again. It doesn't work. Isn't that the story from the very beginning of Adam and Eve? They felt guilt and shame after they failed and it led them to what? Do better? No, it led them to hide from God. It caused God to go looking for them pursuing them to bring them out of their shame, not to tell them to wallow in it a little more until they've learned their lesson. Just like trying to uphold rules, feeling like a failure, what Paul called worldly sorrow, only fuels failure. But this doesn't mean you should be callous about failure, of course. Just don't believe that you must pay for it with bad thoughts or feelings about yourself or with anything at all. I got to show you Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 2. The author says, if sacrifices could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. Verse 3, but instead those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. It gave them sin consciousness. So what does that mean? To put it simply, if you fixate on how bad you are, your bad feelings will drive you to bad things. This is another product of the mind's puppetry over the flesh. So you could be stuck in sin because your mind is stuck on sin, even if it's about how to stop sin, it's on sin, which is just going to keep you doing it. Now, though perfection is not the goal, God doesn't desire for you to be stuck in anything. 
He's not apathetic to your struggles. But do's and don'ts don't produce good behavior, nor does self-loathing motivate anybody to do better. They never have, they never will. It's good beliefs that produce good behavior. Particularly beliefs about who you are and what you have in Christ. Now here comes the good part, literally. First, as you've heard me teach before, there's something I like to call the psychology of forgiveness. This is just living according to the way God designed us, which is that when you know that nothing is on the line, that you remain forgiven and can't change God's mind, you just naturally do better because the pressure's off. But there's more to who you are and what you have in Christ than forgiveness. You have a new nature with a new heart and the Spirit of God in you. And knowing that is especially what helps you sin less. Some months ago, I recorded a discussion with my friend, Dr. Andrew Farley. Maybe you've heard it. When we got on the topic of sin, he used a great illustration, I thought. He was talking about a house that he once lived in with three rooms. One was a master, the other was a guest room, and the other was his office. And he confessed that his office was filthy, a real mess, but the guest room was pristine. Then he said, imagine you're walking down the hallway of the house with a piece of garbage all balled up, ready to toss somebody, ready to toss somewhere. Where are you going to toss it? In the clean guest room or the filthy office? The obvious answer is the filthy one. Since you already consider it dirty, adding another piece of garbage won't be a problem. It's no different than your junk drawer. Why do you keep shoving all the loose change, the paper clips, the promo pens, and the receipts in there? Because you already defined it as a junk drawer. So the point is, whether it's a room, a drawer, or you, you're more likely to keep clean what you see as clean. So see yourself as clean, because you are. And as a result, you will naturally live a cleaner life. Think of it this way, right believing influences right behaving, which results in right living. And that begins with knowing the truth of who you are as a new person in Christ. The Apostle Paul called this putting on Christ. In Ephesians 4.24, he mentions vices that he's encouraging them to get over. Lust, lies, and anger. And he says that the way to deal with them is to Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Put on isn't some kind of ritual or routine of behavior modification. I used to think that it was, like you got to squeeze yourself into Christ with some amount of effort. It's not. The Greek word for put on is enduo. It's the word we get endowment from, which is a gift of grace. It means to receive something freely. You have something that isn't your own, but it's yours. Take it as yours. Accept it. Identify with it. Forget the lie that you are a horrible sinner and accept the truth that you are endowed with the qualities of Jesus. New, right, whole, and holy. Fixating on that, thinking on these things, is your best chance to sin less. Your best chance to stop marching to the beat of, oops, I did it again. 
Just know that all the while, there's no timetable here. The Bible already assures that God no longer counts your sins against you. That's 2 Corinthians 5.19. So God doesn't desire you to overcome anything for his sake. He desires it for your sake. He doesn't want anything to get between your love for him and other people and what he has best for you. So he desires it for your sake, not for his, so that you aren't hurt. Besides, remember, behavior isn't your savior. Jesus is. And his work is finished. It's a done deal. God is good, and Jesus has made you good with God. Think on those things. Need help seeing yourself and your situations in more positive ways? My Think on These Things Scripture Reflection Journal was designed to do just that. It features 30 days of inspirational scriptures with journaling prompts that guide you to align your mind with what God says about you. With my Think on These Things journal, a new confident, courageous, positive you is just 30 days away. Order your copy now at kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget, wherever you're watching or listening, tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show.